0: the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Clinton. If you're a frequent listener to this podcast, you know that a topic we've covered as of late is the ever-evolving world of name, image, and likeness. We're not alone in that focus, as not a day goes by that you don't see multiple stories across multiple sports publications about NIL. There are many reasons the topic of name, image, and likeness is fascinating. It's a first for student-athletes, It's interesting to see how universities react or fun to watch the land grab that is the NIL space. Maybe the primary reason it's so fascinating to follow this pace is the pace at which things are changing. That evolution takes me back to my graduate school days when social media was just becoming a thing, and it was the Wild West trying to figure out how to harness that social media. That pace with NIL feels very similar. One person who's not only keeping up with the shifting NIL dynamics, but is trying to carve out how name, image, and likeness looks going forward is our guest today, Zach Oliver. For those of us with the tie to Northwestern, that name will sound familiar. Zach played quarterback at Northwestern from 2012 to 2015. He carried that on-the-field talent in the classroom, where he holds an undergraduate degree from Northwestern and a master's in management from the Kellogg School of Management. Following graduation, Zach began his career in finance with roles at Citigroup as an associate vice president of the firm's merger arbitrage trading team and at J.P. Morgan before shifting his career back to sports. Zach is the co-founder and chief financial officer at Matchpoint Connection in NIL Marketplace. It was so great to get the chance to speak with Zach and hear about his time at Northwestern and all he is doing now. So we hope you all enjoy this conversation with Zach Otter. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us today. Um, you know, I really want to get into to Matchpoint and what you do there, especially because the NIL space is really just continuing to evolve. But, you know, you've had such an interesting path to where you are today. So let's rewind that all the way back and, and start, you know, a student athlete or before and, and, and you know, take that forward. Awesome.
1: Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me, Bryce. Um, yeah, happy to give you a little, a little background, a little context, so kind of how we got to where we were. I'll take it all the way back. Like you said, um, so grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, um, you know, sports family. My dad played college football. My brother played college football. There was no doubt in my dad's mind, you know, that was going to play college football. So, um, both quarterbacks. So really from grade kindergarten, as far as back as I can remember, remember, you know, playing quarterback and, you know, kind of priming myself to hopefully, you know, get that scholarship. So I went through college or went through high school, um, was fortunate enough to have a good junior year, um, and then, you know, started the whole recruiting process. Um, you know, Coach Fitz and Northwestern were actually my first offer, um, you know, coming out of high school. Um, you know, a couple others followed and then really came down to, you know, it was, you know, it was Northwestern, it was LSU, and it was Stanford um stanford had a couple other quarterbacks in their class and you might remember kevin hogan my year you know had, had a good run there um and then lsu was kind of playing the you know the, the the chase game you know stringing me along a bit so you know went back to my my my, my first offer my roots and um, you know ended up going with northwestern um and like I, we were talking about you know, it couldn't have been a better choice you know for me um short term and long term you no know. Getting out of Louisiana, uh, you know, is something that I always have thought about doing. Um, and it kind of broadening my scope and my horizons about what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And, you know, beyond sports, which, you know, obviously taught me so many things about life, um, you know, just getting the network of the Northwestern community and the Kellogg community and learning, you know, the ins and outs of what it really means to be successful at a very, very high level on and off the field. Um, you know, really Northwestern set me up for success there. Um
0: and so you continue that education. You went to Northwestern for undergrad and then moved that on into to Kellogg while you were still a student athlete or, or or following that?
1: Yeah, so still a student athlete. Um so when I was a uh, a real senior, not a registered senior, um I have Trevor Simeon a year ahead of me, and I tried to go through this plot, this program to get into you know, the Kellogg Masters of Management program. And this is like, you know, pre-Zoom, pre-all of this stuff that we're also used to now in the COVID world. And they, they were very, they gave us a lot of pushback on, you know, the ability for student athletes to be able to zoom into classes because the, the classes overlapped with, um, with the beginning of Camp Kenosha, right? So we were in Wisconsin for the first, you know, call it 10 classes at Kellogg and they were not happy about that. Um, and again, during that time, I'm like, there's got to be a solution of a way to do this. And, you know, they kept pushing back. Ended up having um, some, you know, some alumni and some, you know, members of the board at Northwestern like write the letter to Kellogg. It's like, this is too good of an opportunity for the student athletes to miss, right? So um, it was myself, Christian Jones, and Luke Dow um, were the first three football players to be able to enter the Masters of Management program at Kellogg, which effectively is the first half of an MBA. Um, great experience, and for me, undergraduate I was communications and had a minor in business. Um, so that that master's really set me up for success, um, you know, to kind of get a foundation in finance and, you know, stats and, and accounting, which I, again, undergraduate, I wish going back now, I wish I would have maybe gone the econ route, but because I didn't, it, it set me up for success to kind of get my first job out, out of college. Um, and, you know, that ended up being at JP JPMorgan um, in private wealth um, with uh, with a fellow alumni, um, Daniel Resnick. I worked with him for a year and then... Um, my then girlfriend, now wife, um, you know, was applying to law schools, also a Northwestern grad. And she got into Columbia and, you know, it was too good of an opportunity for us to pass out. So she ended up, you know, accepting her opportunity to go to Columbia, went through, you know, three years of law school. So we moved to New York. Um, kind of went back to the recruiting mindset. So I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? I still want to be in finance. Um, I wanted to take a little bit more of a quantitative approach. So reached back out to my alumni base. Obviously New York has a very, you know, broad alumni base for Northwestern. Um, met a gentleman by the name of David Ventura who was, ran a trading desk at Citigroup, Um, and then so traded under his desk, uh, merger, arbitrage was the name of the desk. It was an equity desk and did that, um, for five years. So again, even more kind of building on that foundation of a financial background, which I always realized was going to set me up for long-term success.
0: Yeah. Oh, how times have changed in the sense that, you know, it's funny to think back about not wanting to be able to get in class from this perspective, right? And then how the educational experiences shifted and, you know, doing the things that we do today. But it's cool to see that, you know, you all pushed and were able to do that. And I think you and I were talking about this before we started recording. It, it's such a really cool thing to see at Northwestern, the students, student-athletes taking advantage of the those opportunities, right. It's been for me as an instructor, it's been, it's been a, you know, such a great thing to have student athletes in class because of the practical application of a lot of the things that we talk about as concepts. And so it's really cool to see you all leveraging that, you know, great educational foundation that's there while you're a student athlete.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think coach Fitz and the the rest of the the coaching staff do a great job in setting us up, you know, in that way, you know, we're all assigned a, a mentor coming into our freshman year. So you're able to kind of lean on that mentor, but then all of your friends have mentors. So then you have mentor dinners and you're able to kind of really like establish a very good cohort of like, of of, of these individuals who are all very successful former athletes. And, you know, I always feel very comfortable reaching out to any of those people in my network who I, you know, I still call mentors. Like if I have a question about something in law, I've got a guy, if I have something in marketing, if I have something in consumer, if I have something back in finance, like, uh, they do a great job of like giving you those, those, those building blocks to, to reach back out and maintain long term relationships, which really has helped me get to where I, you know, where I am today. It,
0: it, it is really interesting to see, you know, how much of, we talk a lot about sports and jobs in sports and how much of that is predicated on networking, but it's, it's the same across all different types of, of facets of life, right? That, that networking piece is so important. But you sort of had that shift in, in finance, um, you know, following, following, you know, your schooling and now have, have sort of parlayed that back to something that we'll talk more about shortly, but this sort of in sports, how did you really move from between those things, you know, from a finance piece and does that finance background really help you in where you are today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, understanding like foundation of like, like valuations and and, and market rates and bids and apps and like kind of supply and demand has absolutely helped me in kind of understanding like, all right, now we're thinking about, you know, influencer marketing. We're thinking about how do you value a a, a quarterback at Northwestern for an Instagram post, right? Like things that normally have been very like subjective in terms of like, what is that value? But like coming from the world of finance and understanding like, okay, like how do we try to back into like what this could potentially cost based on what number of variables, I like to think that, you know, that background has given me enough like tools to say, okay, like this makes sense. Like we can go this route or we can go this route. Um, and the other thing I like to always go back on, and this is more like a business sense is just like thinking about decisions in life between like upside and downside. Cause like, as you go into finance and especially trading, you're like, you're making very broad decisions on, you know, how do you go about making a buy or a sell recommendation based on like again, any number of factors, but you have to eventually like imply some sort of upside. And then what is your ultimate downside? Right. So for me, as I was deciding like, okay, like what are my options as like I'm potentially thinking about transitioning out of city and like taking this big risk. So like what is my upside in like founding this company and doing something that you know I'm absolutely passionate about. And then you know obviously there's a lot of like benefits that come with that. And then what is my ultimate downside? You know, if this does blow up and, you know, do I have that, you know, network to potentially fall back on and the skill set? And in my mind, I was like, yes, Okay, I, if, if I go down this path, if, if something doesn't work, how I'm anticipating, I still have this background to kind of fall back on. But again, ultimately, in my mind, upside that way, the downside
0: yeah and it's cool to see you know that background and to fall back on that you had set up for yourself based on all the work that you've done you know as an undergraduate and beyond. And I think that it's it's a really cool time to be able to take that that leap and and try to do those things that you're doing today, which you know sort of parlays us into you know what you're doing today in in sort of that space. But I guess I would ask you as a, as a former student athlete, how do you feel about NAL? that has come around now. And I guess in some ways that it wasn't there when you were a student athlete.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm couldn't be more excited about kind of where we are in the college athletic space. Um, you know, it seems like it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, actually going back to when I was a college athlete and this whole unionization thing happened, which is like crazy to think that like mm-hmm. I was on the team when we're talking about unionization and you know, Kane's doing his thing and trying to to move the needle not only for Northwestern student athletes, but for student athletes around the country, you know, obviously that turned out how it did, but it definitely started the conversation in a way that, you know, that brought about change, even actually in the short term. Like I, I forget the name of the the basketball player. I think he played for UConn right after we had this unionization initiative, was like like, I can't afford to eat, right? Right after that, the NCAA is like unlimited meals, right? So that was, again, a baby step in that right direction. So, you know, we've seen some more and more things like increased you know, stipends for cost of living and like all these things that have ultimately increased to kind of get us to where we are today. Um, and obviously with that being like with name, image and likeness, college athletes being able to monetize themselves. Um, and again, the way the way it kind of came about was very interesting with, you know, starting with six states, all kind of creating their own rules, the LA kind of feeling like they're behind the eight ball a bit and kind of opening the floodgates. And I think if you were to ask someone from the LA, would they go back and would they do it differently? Probably yes. Um, but now the cat's kind of out of the bag and it's going to be, I think it's going to be tough for them to reel in kind of what they, what they've started.
0: I think it's really interesting that you bring up, you know, the meals thing. Right. Because if you look at it from a lay fan perspective and you hear these things, you know, in the media all the time of, well, this person is getting paid. Their school is paid for. Right. Right. Which there is no doubt that that is an enormous value. Right. But right. I think the thing that, you know, if I think back to my undergraduate experience, I you know, was not a, an athlete on the level that you were. And I had the, the quote unquote time to do things that would give me walking around money, right? right. Money that I could use to get meals or do things, you know, the demands on student athletes don't give you that opportunity, right? There's no opportunity to do those things because of the demands that are there. And I think that a lot of people don't understand or see this while well, you're getting an immense value as a free education, which is true, but. There's a lot of other things in life that you have to pay for that student athletes are hindered because of the amount of work they have to put into being a student athlete.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And then it, it takes it a step further, too, when you're talking about walk on athletes, which who put in the same amount of work as a scholarship athletes, no doubt. But if you're looking at the way that the meal structure used to work is they had to pay for those meals. Like that was an out-of-pocket cost for them, even if they were provided by the school. So this, the new ruling, again, this is like 20, you know, 14, 15, I don't remember exactly, but you know, enabled them to also be able to again eat with the rest of the team in a way that was covered by the school. and I think that that was a really important move, too, again, kind of in this right direction, kind of keeping everyone on an equal playing field um, in the way that college athletics works
0: When you also see, too, that because of some of those things, right, it, it was where there was, I guess, opportunity for nefarious things to happen. Right, i always think back to a story Jalen Rose would, would tell on a podcast, he was talking about how... I didn't have a coat. Like I didn't have a winter coat and I had to borrow one from a roommate and somebody down the hall when they were going to class and those things. And a booster was there to give me some money to buy a winter coat, right? It's hard for a kid at that time to say, well, I'm cold walking to class. But then on his, the, the weird dichotomy of one of the most recognizable athletes in America, not only college, but recognizable athletes in America, but didn't have the money to pay for a coat because of, you know, where and how he grew up, but also not the ability to work. Right. And so it's, it's, it also, in some ways is a byproduct of of clearing up some of those things or giving the potential to clear up some of those, those potential issues with money coming from other places.
1: Right. Absolutely. And then the question is kind of piggyback on that is like how, and then at that time, how do you draw the line? Like, Like, is it a coat? Is it a Gucci coat? Is it a uh, Gucci coat and sports car? Like it became, it became tough. And that was like why the rules were set as they were, where you having where incentive gifts um, were always deemed as being so negative because there was, there was no theoretical cap on like what that could be. Now, the way the rules written is there has to be something in return. So you're going to have to either provide some sort of, you know, service or provide some sort of, know, Instagram post, right. Or you're, you know, you have a following effectively that has like a value. And if you can attribute that value to like a specific post, who's to say that that post isn't worth $50,000. Right. Right. So, um, no, it's definitely, it's definitely evolved, um, very quickly in the past nine months. Um, so it's exciting time for sure, but it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's out of control, but it's, we're, there's some, there's some big deals out there that are like, wow, Like, I can't believe that happened. Right. Like thinking about this kid from Tennessee, $8 million, Mm -hmm. you know, guaranteed out of, um, you know, out of high school. Like it's crazy, right? Like we're, we're in a crazy time.
0: And it's such interesting how it impacts lots of things, right? You think about it from a recruiting perspective, there's that piece of it, but then which we can talk about, or, but also uh, trickling upwards Conference alignment, television deals, all of those things based on players and where they go. And I mean, they're all sort of interconnected. But I guess for the listeners, Zach, can you kind of explain to us what name, image, and likeness is? You know, I think that you can't throw a rock and not hit an an, an NIL story these days, right? Like you said, it's everywhere. But I think some of our listeners, and even me in, in a lot of ways, sometimes struggle to put all the pieces together about what name, image, and likeness is but also, what it is for a student athlete?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, taking it down to its most like basic, um, the NCAA made a ruling that college athletes are able to financially benefit from their name, image and likeness in exchange for goods or services. They didn't define what those goods or services had to be. They didn't put a cap on the dollar amounts that the athletes can receive for those goods or services. Um, as long as, you know, there's, there's like three or four categories that are not allowed and being, you know, alcohol, tobacco, gambling, and you can, you know, probably throw some sort of like CBD or something in there as well. Um, Beyond that, on a national level, like everything is fair game in terms of I can receive thousand dollars to show up to a charity event, um, you know that's being put on by you know any individual, or I can make an Instagram post or a, a TikTok video on behalf of a business who's looking to monetize you know my following on social media, which we're seeing a lot happen because it's you know the social media aspect of this. very interesting because like obviously the 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 time commitment for the athletes that you're talking about earlier time commitments like is very low for them to receive a graphic or or make a photo and then write a caption in order to receive those dollar amounts but if you look at like broader influencer marketing like this has been happening since like the 1800s like like in terms of like what is influencer marketing having like famous people promote your products like we're just bringing that concept into college athletics, so the same thing LeBron James and you know Michael Jordan, all these guys used to do um, in terms of like promoting brands. We're just giving that ability to to college athletes.
0: And I think it's so interesting about you mentioned showing up at you know an alumni event or showing up at some event and being able to be paid for something like that. The social media posts, you know the the eight million dollar the student athlete with the I, I feel and maybe I'm wrong because you would know this more than me. I feel like that's the outlier, right? Where those situations are going to be much fewer and farther between where you see that money. But where the real benefit comes is, you know, and I don't know the percentages, two, three percent of people that could have the ability in whether that's in football, men's and women's basketball, those big revenue generating sports. But the flip side of that, like I think of when I was an undergrad at Purdue, right? And the local TV commercials, right? Like I think Bob Rorman, the car dealership in West Lafayette, but all the way up to Chicago, you see those. There's no doubt. I mean, at Bob Merman, the, the court is named after him at, at Mackey Arena, right? And there's no doubt that student athletes would have been in those commercials, would have been in social media, right? Because of the local presence. And I think that's really what's so interesting to me is I think that we talk about that walking around money, whatever it is. What a great opportunity for a student athlete to be able to, to have and earn some of that just doing something like a, a, a commercial social media post and so on.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it makes it really resonates really with what we're working on at Matchpoint. Like we we focus a lot on the local business, local charity component of what's going on in this space. Um, obviously the splashy deals are, you know, Nike working with the the um, you know soccer player out in UCLA and you know, you've seen Gatorade work with Paige Bukers and you know these are these are big deals. Um, but you're right. The majority of the deals are your, your mom and pop pizza shops and burger shops and law firms and, you know, car dealerships, like in terms of like sheer number of deals, I would have to imagine that most of those deals are exactly what you're talking about. Um, uh, using LSU as an example, you know, we saw a local law firm and help facilitate part of this deal, a local law firm in Louisiana, Ford McKernan law firm, literally had a, the kids create a commercial that was aired locally for the Super Bowl, right? Like and that's like super fun for them. So that they're in they're in a Super Bowl commercial, albeit at a local level, but still like if they're able to, you know, help him move the needle for his business. Um, they feel like they're, you know, they're receiving money, but they're also get some kind of cool factor, which you know plays them this as well. Um and I, in that in that scenario, it's like one that everyone wants.
0: Yeah, it really does seem like one that, that everyone wins in the sense that there is, you know, sports has so much to do with the sense of community, right? Especially at the college level, being ingrained in that community. And so it, it, in some ways, is a logical extension of that, right? And I think that it, it's cool. It's really cool to see those things, you know, as we talked about, I don't know if, you know, on a national level, you know, how those things sort of Pan out, you know, in the sense that there's going to be a smaller percentage of them that do it, but it is cool to see at the local level. I I guess the question for you, you know, in in talking when we, we get to, there's so many things that I can see and you have a better perspective than me from a student athlete's perspective, though, where your head's got to kind of be spinning right of like yeah. this has opened up for me now how do i navigate this and i think that you know when you spin it forward and what you're doing today you know i think some of that is involved there but you, you know how from your you know knowledge or perspective how are student athletes really going about that today
1: yeah no there's a there's a lot of questions that that are you know that athletes are now having to answer that and this is probably the first time in their lives you know where they don't necessarily have a school to lean on because the schools can't, this is something else I really didn't mention earlier, The schools cannot be facil- like involved in the facilitation of these deals. So they can't rely, they can rely on the educational component to say like, Oh, the school can, you know, tell me like, this is how taxes should be done. But like, they're not a tax advisor. They can't like tell you how to do your taxes. Um, they can provide education on like the different opportunities, you know, spread out across the country, but they can't tell you which one to do. Or is this deal is this deal worth it? Am I get is a thousand dollars for an Instagram post a good deal for me, like they, they, they have the hands off. So there is a lot on them to try to figure out on their own. And you know, we're trying to do our best at matchpoint to to kind of help that process. So what we've done um, within the company, so we we built a phone app to start, and we actually developed an algorithm that it was able to use the, the, the data of, of an athlete, whether it's their following, their location, the businesses that they're potentially interested in working with, and then on the reciprocal, the businesses, you know, location, following, and the athletes they're interested in working with, and essentially come up with what is a percentage match, not on some more like a dating site to say, all right, I'm an athlete in Evanston, Illinois, like bat 17 is a great business for me because I'm interested in working with burger shops. Right. Or, you know, you can go down the list of different opportunities. You know, I want to work with a nonprofit. Okay. Like YWCA great opportunity for you to be able to you know help them promote what they're trying to do in their, their current initiatives. So really our goal from the start was to minimize that discovery process where if I'm an athlete, there's so many businesses for me to potentially work with, it becomes really hard for me to choose. If I'm a business, there's even more athletes for me to choose from. So, you know, if I'm an athlete in Evanston, I don't really want to see local businesses in Columbus, Ohio. So we're not going to show you that business. Um, if it's a national business, we'll make sure it's in front of you. And it's kind of, you know, there's a, there's a, there's kind of an equal weight component to, from a locality standpoint. But um, at the end of the day, that's a big, big part of what we were trying to do. And then kind of piggybacking on that, you know, we incorporated, you know, communication functionality so you don't have to exchange your phone numbers or your email addresses. And then lastly, you know, one of the biggest pain points, not only in athletics, but in like the broader influencer community was payments. All these influencers are getting paid on multiple different platforms, whether it's you know, PayPal or Venmo or QuickBooks Pay or, or Stripe or whatever, like. There's there was no uniformity in the way that payments were occurring. So we were able to integrate APIs into the platform. So you can, as an athlete, link your bank account. As a business, either link your bank account or add a credit card. And then there's a systematic flow-driven process that protects both sides where Matchpoint acts, acts as the escrow or like clearinghouse between those funds. So going back to, again background finance and like thinking about clearing houses in terms of like, you know, the, between like banks and hedge funds, like, I'm like, okay, like that makes sense. Like clearing house. All right. We can bring that same thought process to what we're doing here. Um, but be the clearinghouse between, you know, brands looking to compensate the college athletes.
0: Yeah. And then if you look at it from a tech perspective, like I would think it gives you that PCI and PII, you know, protection there of, of secure payments, that something can come through, but it's, yeah. it's crazy to think about, seven things you just said in there of like, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a lacrosse player. I'm a swimmer. I have all these things to do from a student athlete perspective, not only for my sport, but, but you know, the athletics part of it, I want to capitalize on this, but think of all the things in the chain. And so that's, what's so interesting about platforms, like, you know, what you, what you guys have created to make that simpler. So if, I guess I kind of, if I boil that down to the central thesis of Matchpoint point is it, it's sort of a A marketplace for both sides, the businesses and the athletes to really draw those connections, you know, at a granular level to say, how can I, if I'm a business, how do I find the right athlete in the right location to promote what I'm doing? And if I'm an athlete, the same, vice versa. Yeah,
1: no, exactly. And it's a free platform for both sides to join. You know, there's no, there's no sort of onboarding fees. So you can fully, you know, onboard on the platform, discover, see if it's right for you. If it is amazing, you know, we'll help you through that process. If it's not, you know, then. You know, you stick around for a little bit, give it a couple months. Maybe there's some new brands that you know do fit. You know what you're
0: looking for. What I think is also really smart is that starting from a phone, from a from a mobile app perspective. Right. Especially from the athlete side, because young people, it's it's almost as an appendage. Right. And I think that that makes it much easier for them to just parlay that into, okay, here's something that I can do that is really little time investment for me because it's right here on my phone, but could have, you know, benefit down the road from a monetary perspective and it makes it really easy.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And we, that was very strategic. Um, We saw some other platforms, you know, going web first. And we we're like, okay, like this needs to be easier. All of this data I'm looking at is great, but I just all I want to do is make a deal. I'm thinking about from an athlete perspective. I'm just trying to make a deal. How do I do that in the most simple way possible? So like our UI UX is like very simplistic, and I'll, I'll show you, you know, after the call if you're interested. Um, but it's very flow driven. No, like I said, app first mentality. Um, was very important. So, like again, if, you, if I'm an athlete and a business wants to make an offer, they send an offer in the in the in the app, or we just want our web portal, really more for the business side. Um, and then I receive a notification. So it's like, hey, like you got an offer from you know this business for this amount to do this. You know, if you know, you can either accept, you can edit, or you can decline. Um, and then at that point, like again, the onus is back on you to decide. Like, is this an opportunity that's right for you? If it is. Amazing. Like we're going to have, try to help you through that entire process.
0: And so in the intermediate, there's no intermediary, right? In the sense that you give the platform to say business can make an offer to this student athlete. That student athlete doesn't have to go through a handler or something like that in the middle of it. They can, It, it it's, right. it's it's really interesting because it's, it's using technology in the middle to take out one of those, you know, sort of friction points there that could be fraught with peril in some ways. But then those offers go right to that student athlete and the student athlete can can accept or move on from them, which I think is a really smart approach.
1: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I and mean, it's like, it's funny because you see, you've seen so many other spaces be disrupted, um, again, whether it be finance or whether it be marketing, but like the agency space, again, whether it's a marketing agency or it's a talent agency, still has such a high touch approach to like, I'm going to be represented by this agent and he's going to help me get these deals. And I'm going to pay him this percentage of my deals and like he's going to be in charge of it like I'm hands off. I'm just going to kind of do what I'm told, right? Like it can be more efficient and it should be more efficient for the athletes. Like people are smarter probably now than they've ever been and if they can, you know, use a use a cell phone and use an iPhone, like they should be able to make their own marketing deals. There's no reason for an agent to necessarily be involved again, unless I'm, you know, I I actually don't have the time for it. I'm Joe Burrow or I'm, you know, whoever. And I, you know, these, these are five, six, seven figure deals, then. Okay. Understood. Maybe there's, there's, there's some legality aspects that need to come into play here. Um, But like you said earlier, like, I think our sweet spot space is that, you know, that next tier down, or maybe even two tiers down of the, you know, the athletes between, you know, 5,000 and 50,000 followers. I think that that's, we've we've done very well in that arena.
0: What I think too, what you see is that it, the explosion of two things, one, social media, but also two, the ability to view things because of uh, whether it's streaming services or, or direct-to-consumer apps, you have more of an opportunity to consume sports in different ways. And what I mean by that is if you look at somebody who is a huge water polo fan or a huge volleyball fan. Those are really niche communities that are really, you know, into that sport or into what they do. This gives a perfect avenue for someone who is an athlete in those sports to say, well, wait a minute. Now I can, I'm not Joe Burrow as an example. Right. But there is a following that I have of a specific set of people and you can help marry those things up to help that person make some money while they're in school.
1: Absolutely. And the the niche sports thing is is spot on. You know, for example, we have, we had a company come to us and they're, uh, they have a, they're a swim cap company, but they, have, they add like padding to the top of your head. And really specifically for triathlons, because you think about triathlons, like you're swimming in open water, people are kicking you and punching you in the head. Like, so they have such a niche product, like for them to use an influencer, typically they have to go to an Olympian and Olympians are a very high priced or, you know, usually like there's conflicts of interest with like their current Olympic sponsors, So we were able to help them, you know, find some, some influencers in this space, again, whether it be college swimmers or, you know, some just other kind of semi-professional swimmers. And they were able to create some campaigns and and do some cool stuff in a space where they would have normally been tough. But the algorithm was able to help them find like, oh, these people are all my swimmers. Like, let me, let me reach out to these guys. They're going to be a good fit.
0: And super beneficial for both sides and something that didn't exist just, you know, a year ago. And, right. And it's, it's really cool to see it evolve. The other thing that you mentioned though that gets me thinking a lot about this is again not thinking about that top 2 to 3%, right? But if you look down and again it it kind of harkens back to what I was mentioning about the student athletes that I've had in class, a lot of the student athletes at Northwestern is that what a really cool opportunity to learn some of those skills through a different that's not a classroom, that's not, you know, again, student athletes hard time to have inter- have internships and so on, but you can learn Finance skills, marketing skills, right, business development skills, all through sort of managing your own sort of nil presence uh, through platforms like your own, and I think that's a really valuable thing for those student athletes.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I'm spot on because, like, I mean, even from the beginning of like, all right, if I'm an athlete and I want to be making money, like, I should form an LLC, right, and I should be able to, you know, be writing off all of my meals on that LLC as like a flow through expense to be able to you know, offset some of the tax gains that I'm going to be having, you know, throughout the year. Um, like you said, like, like again, financial, just kind of upkeep and understanding all like tax filings and understanding like expenses, like marketing. And it, it really is like, couldn't create a better entrepreneurship class, like one oh one of really having to do it yourself. And again, I had to go through it myself recently just with like founding MatchPoint, and going through it. Like, if I had been in a situation where I was like, oh, like filing an LLC, like I know how to do that. Like I can, I can go through that process. It's a pain in the butt, but I know how to do it. Um, you know, maybe things would be a little bit easier of like, you know, figuring out how to hire employees and this and that, but um, it's definitely, I, I totally agree with you. spot on in terms of like a learning experience beyond the financial benefit.
0: Right. For sure. I mean, so talk about that. You talk about those skills and understanding and sort of the, the founding of MatchPoint. How did you get from you know, all the work that you did from undergrad and a student athlete into finance and now sort of founding match point in what you're doing today.
1: Yeah. So I mean, really the the finance jobs, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, were, were so were so really centered around like my ability to network. And we were talking about that a little bit before where like I when I was in, in at Kellogg, I just literally would go in between classes, grab coffees with people. And then my last question is always like, all right, who else can I talk to in this sector? Who else can I talk to in this sector? And I literally had a spreadsheet of a tree of just all of these people who I had met through like reciprocal connections. And then again, when it came time when I was like, okay, I need to find a job, like literally just went back down that list. I was like, hey, like good to you know, hope you're doing well. Good to catch up. Now, like, do you have any opportunities that you know, either you have or you know someone that might have? And almost the answer is always either they had an opportunity or like there was a, a similar opportunity through a fellow connection. Um, so I did that twice. I did that at for, for, for JP Morgan and for City, and then was able to, you know, maintain those positive relationships enough over that time to be able to get both of those jobs. Um, you know, obviously COVID hit every, you know, Wall Street went from, you know, from the trading floor to the living room floor. And I, my brother and I, you know, we're kind of pilling our thumbs a bit, you know, and he, his prior background, I haven't really talked as much about him, but he, who um, was 12 years older than I am, had founded a business in a healthcare space similar to that of GoodRx um, mm-hmm. and scaled from zero to 150 million members. So a very successful business called United Networks of America. You know, he was on the tail end of his time there. I was feeling like I was ready for something new kind of at the end of city. Um, and so we actually formed like a little family office, him and I, so we started to make a couple of investments and in a couple of different other tech startups and different opportunities around the country. Um, and then kind of during that time, you know, saw this looming legislation change. Like I mentioned before, he was also a college quarterback. So had that, you know, had that background, had that passion and we were able to kind of leverage both of our, you know, you know. Prior experiences in sport and out of sport to kind of okay, this is this is something that's going to be huge. Like, how do we find a way to get in the middle of it? Um, and then that marketplace, you know, was was just seemed like the the best way to do it um, at the time. And again, kind of acting as that clearinghouse was a, you know, a unique component.
0: It's a really cool story. I mean, and especially too, not only from the formation tech. You know, I come from a tech background, startup world. It's cool to see, but also if you look at it from a student athlete perspective and hearing that story. Both of you, the people that founded this company, have an understanding of what it takes to be a student athlete, what the student athlete goes through and all of the sort of ups and downs that could be there that you have to deal with in trying to navigate this very new space along with all the other things that you have to deal with. So I'm certain that gives some level of comfort to that student athlete coming to that platform.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the 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 background definitely I think helped us from an understanding of like what, what does an athlete want or like really more than what they want, what do they need? Like what, what is, what is necessary going to be, you know, in their life? Obviously, you know, thinking about the, the, the order of things that are most important, like time probably being the number one, like how can we make this the most efficient platform that we can with no frills, none of this, none of that, just like, like deal facilitation at its most basic. Um, and then I think, you know, with some trial and error and some case studies and some, you know, a lot of back and forth, um, you know, we were able to to still to to create a platform that, you know, was, was working and it's great. And and by no means are we done, Like there's, there's a lot of work still left to do. Um, you know, from a technological component, like I, I want to refine the algorithm. I want to, I want to expand to, you know, think about different ways of valuing athletes. I want to think about um, you know, from a national and a local component, um, there's there's so many different avenues that are really interesting. Thinking about resources and you know, providing what can we do to keep an athletes like interests um, in like learning, especially around this space. Like because that seems like it's, it's they're they're all like college athletes are just constantly being thrown in meeting rooms and being told like what they should and shouldn't do and talk that. So like the more that we can try to, to give them a platform that feels like a social media platform that allows them to make money, but it also could potentially also have the added value of teaching them something is something that we're really passionate about.
0: Yeah. And it's cool how it's all rolled. It, it can all sort of be serviced in that singular spot. I mean, you talked about You're not done and wanting to do more. And I think that not only is that cool and and, and to see the evolution of that, but I guess this is kind of a a loaded question because, you know, if I look at the name, image and likeness space right now, I kind of think of it when I was in graduate school, this is going to date me, but social media was just becoming a thing, right? And nobody knew how to deal with it. And and what I mean by that is, how is this going to be? Okay. It's cute, right? That we can connect with friends, but how is this going to be part of our business? Fast forward you know, 14 years, 15 years, it's, it's an integral part of business, right? And, it, you know, like again, tough question to answer, but as you look at, at kind of the Wild West that the, the name, image, and likeness space is now, how do you see that evolving over in, in the short term, the medium term, and, and, and even the long term?
1: Yeah, I think the short term, um, I guess, pending any sort of like upsetting legislation change, which we're not really expecting, you know, I think that it would look very similar, kind of from a social media component, you know, to how it looks now. Um, I think the interesting variable in in social media advertising is actually TikTok, and like, how do people think about using a platform that is so anti-ad to promote ads in an organic way? And I say anti-ad meaning like, if I'm a business, I you know want to pay an athlete to make a TikTok post for me, if TikTok. In my mind, if TikTok views that as an ad. They push those views down, and the, the amount that I pay to that athlete is like now my ROI is like gone to hell, right? So, how do we think about like arbing those sort of like these 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 platforms that are you know if, if they're not monetizing the ad spend, like how do you how are you able to still benefit from like influencer partnerships and in, in platforms like that and again? I think you're starting to see Instagram kind of go the same way, like removing likes, right? Like it's funny because they're like, they're doing all this stuff to, to make everything seem on a more evil, even playing field. But at the end of the day, the benefit of doing all of it is so that you pay ads on their platform and you don't pay you know off their platform, right? So you want their data and you, so again, the more that we can kind of accumulate that data and be able to still have that value add to say, okay, like, you doing an Instagram post with 40,000 followers as the backup wide receiver at Purdue is going to cost this much. Like, I think, again, talking about evolution and like where we want to get, I think that is a big variable, again, not only in the athlete space, but in the influencer marketing space. Um, But it it really, I think long-term really comes down to data. Like we're still in such early stages of just influencer marketing in general. I think that you know, five ten years from now, things are going to be relatively like fair price. Because uh, currently as it stands, you could have two two people, not even just athletes, two people, same following, same demographic, same geographic, same follower base, and they charge two different things. Like it's a problem in the space, right? So, um, you know, I think over time, would love to see that that spread narrow a bit, and um, for things become more efficient, if we can help to kind of get there in that process, like that's yeah, that's a win.
0: Yeah, that, that would be a win and I think you that's a historic problem that even if you look at something like sponsorship valuation right how do you right. how do you put a number there's such there's so many subjective pieces inside of that you know and you talked about those those hard numbers well this person has this following in these geographic locations and so on but it, there's still some like finger in the air of like well how much is this actually worth and I think it, it would be really interesting to see it get to something that is more you know can put an actual hard number on that and be that marketplace for those people.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think the, the, the biggest variable in that in that process prior to kind of what we're working on has been like agent intervention, like who's the better negotiator. Like that's the people component that has kind of kept this space inefficient from a pricing standpoint. So again, I think the more that, you can kind of eliminate the need for that intervention again albeit like maybe you're getting more for the athlete which is I mean great not great for the brand good for the athlete but I mean you have to assume at some point things are going to
0: normalize well and it's also interesting that you bring that up so the last thing here is that there is that agent intervention down the road, right? It, and when you get to the higher levels of athletics and, and again, the NCAA always has those commercials about how the number of athletes that are not going pro or they're no pro in something else. But it, what's cool is that you and, and what you've created here gives the power to that athlete to make that decision of, Hey, I want to do this. You can see that trickling up, right? Meaning as they go pro or they go, it move forward in their career, the ability to control some of those things on their own, that then doesn't require that agent intervention that then can, again, help normalize some of that pricing and so on.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you saw it in the, you know, in the music space, like, you know, going away from the record labels, like a great, great comp of, you know, seeing people kind of, you know, stick it to the man a bit and, you know, try to find a more efficient way of releasing their own content. I I don't see this any different in the long term. Um, but again, who who's this? I still think there's always gonna be a need for human element. I mean, coming again, coming from Louisiana, having like that hospitable background, like I like to be to have like the to have the option to talk to someone if you're having a problem, but in terms of like assessing your own value and understanding like where, you know, what your worth is, I think that knowing can do that better than you.
0: Yep. Yep. And I think that, you know, the platform they provide gives the control and, and you know, that data to those student athletes, which is a really valuable tool in this time of really trying to figure out that space. So, Zach, you know, can you tell us where to find Matchpoint? And, it, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of our listeners are student athletes and so on and, and brands around that. So, you can you tell us where to find Matchpoint and, and all those pieces around it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, we're on the App Store Google, and Google Play. Um, so, either Apple Store or Google Play. Um, it's Matchpoint Connection is the full name of the app. It's a black and blue um, logo. Um, and we also, like I mentioned before, just recently we launched our web app. So you can go to matchpointconnection.com um, and either click download or log in. And then you can you can create a profile for free on there as well. <laughs>
0: Well, that's awesome. I, we really appreciate your time today. You know, it, it's really great to hear about what you're doing now and, and how you've spun that forward from your, your time at Northwestern and, and all these. And we, we look forward to seeing how that, that all evolves for you. Yeah,
1: really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And uh, we'll catch you next time.